This is Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan. Spring is officially here, a perfect time to enjoy nature in the city in Detroit. The author of Easy Detroit Outdoors will tell us how. Did you know there are more than a thousand miles of state designated horseback riding trails in Michigan? It's true. Today, we have an expert to tell us more. The Fort Gratiot Lighthouse on Lake Huron is Michigan's oldest existing light. Built in 1825, this lighthouse has stories to be told. And for parks and beaches, museums and entertainment, you need to consider Flint and Genesee County. We travel Michigan next, where your trip begins at michigan.org. Let's go traveling. Welcome to Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan, and I am really happy to be back with you again this week. We're going to be having a really great discussion with a lot of really cool people telling us about some really neat things you can do all around the state, some places you should visit and you should visit soon. And we're going to give you some ideas that might just really surprise you. And we're going to start with that type of a thought as we bring in Amy Eckert. Amy is a freelance writer friend of mine lives in the Holland area. Amy, it's great to have you with us. Hey, Dave, how are you doing? I'm all right. And, you know, you, you've been just writing a whole bunch lately. And, um, yeah. of course, you and I know each other because you do help us out with travel stories on Michigan.org and mm -hmm. some other projects for us, and I thank you for that. But in your free time when you're not doing those things for us, I like to think, uh, you're doing all these other things. And you're writing books, and, boy, it's so impressive to see what you're up to. One of them uh, you've recently put out is called Easy Detroit Outdoors. Now, think about that, yeah. everybody. You know, outdoor experiences in the city of Detroit. It's kind of uh, kind of an interesting thought. Where did you come up with that idea? Well, as you kind of alluded to, to there, Dave, a lot of people equate Detroit with manufacturing, with automobiles, with organized sports, maybe with museums, and nowadays more and more people are thinking of Detroit as a place to go for like a trendy bar or a, you know, fine dining. But over the course of my more than 20 years of writing about Detroit, I have discovered over and over again that there is a decidedly green side to the city of Detroit, and there really always has been. And I, I think most people find this surprising. So that was what inspired me to, to write this book. I'm really glad you did. You know, I often mention the metro parks in the region because mm -hmm. of the genius idea that they were when they put those in. You probably don't really get into that much, do you? A little bit. But there, to be quite honest, there were so many outdoor activities to choose from mm -hmm. that I had, to, I had to pick and choose. But, you know... Way back in the 1830s, when Woodward Avenue was still a dirt road, the Detroit Boat Club was organizing and sending out organized crew, competitive crew teams up and down the Detroit River in the 1830s. Yeah. And that Detroit Boat Club still exists today. People can still see um, crewers rowing up and down the river. It, it's the oldest rowing club in the country, and it 
predates what we think of today as Woodward Avenue. Um, and, you know, the Fords, when the, the Fords and the other automotive pioneers were going crazy building automobiles in the 19-teens and 20s, Clara and Eleanor Ford and Matilda Dodge were building flower gardens at their mm-hmm. Metro Detroit estates. And those are flower gardens that people can still visit today. They can tour the gardens. They can volunteer to help with their maintenance and their upkeep. There's just stories, you know, there's story after story like that of Detroiters who, over the course of the years, have paired their industrial efforts during the daytime with evening and weekend efforts outside. Yeah. And um, so I think it's a history that, that is um, well worth remembering as spring arrives and we're thinking about getting outdoors again. There's just lots of places to go out and enjoy that in the city of Detroit. Well, and you usually don't, don't think about outdoors when you think of any big city. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, you, know, I, you, you have a really good point. There are so many you know, parks and, and, and open space to enjoy. There's the riverfront. Do you get into mm-hmm. fishing at all because the Detroit River is such a great fishing river? Yeah, I do get into fishing. You know, if you spend much time on the Detroit Riverwalk, you'll see people who are fishing from the Riverwalk on a pretty regular basis. So you can do that right, you know, in the shadow of the Renaissance Center Towers. Um, So you'll see people fishing there, but there are charter fishing companies that take people out and, um, you know, either on the Detroit River or up into Lake St. Clair, um, even into um, Lake, Lake Erie and... So, yeah, there are um, lots of opportunities to fish at metro parks, on the, in, uh, on the water, um, on the river, or in, or in the lake. Now, you mentioned the Tigers a little while ago. Um, any other mm-hmm. sports-type things that you've mentioned in the book? Yeah, there are. Well, yeah, and I don't want to overlook the Tigers because opening day is April 6th, and, you know, hope springs eternal. We're <laughs> hoping for a winning season. One of these days. But One of these days. But, you know— you and I remember when the Tigers played at the corner of Michigan and Trumbull, mm-hmm. and that field is now a, a ballpark called the Corner Ballpark, and there are youth leagues and um, games going on all the time at Corner Ballpark. Um, Detroit City Football Club, which is the, the city's soccer team, they begin their season at the end of March, so you can take in games there. And then cricket. A lot of people don't know the history of cricket goes back to the early 1800s in Detroit. It's always been a big sport, and there are organized cricket matches all across Metro Detroit beginning wow. in May. Wow, I had no idea. You mentioned gardens, so I, mm-hmm. I initially thought Odolph Gardens at um, Belle oh, Isle, yeah. which is cool. Yeah. But w- did you also like pick up at the excellent Eleanor Ford House? Yes, I did, and and to bring it you know to like to your own backyard. There's Flower Day coming up in May at Eastern Market, True. one of the largest flower sales in the country. Yeah. 15 acres of flowers and planting tips and all kinds of good stuff. I mean, yeah, um, you know, from the, the big grand estate flower gardens to your own backyard. Well, I'm not going to ask you to give up too much more. I'm going to send people to your book. People can find out more by going to amyeckert.com. That's E-C-K-E-R-T, amyeckert.com. Dot com order a book there uh, or you know go to a favorite bookstore Amazon if you need to uh, and learn about easy Detroit outdoors uh, written by my friend Amy Eckert Amy congratulations and thanks for being with us and we're gonna uh, continue talking about some outdoor things trails and horseback riding next on travel Michigan where your trip begins at michigan.org <laughs>
It's Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan. As I was growing up uh, in uh, West Michigan, I would occasionally go over to my aunt and uncles, and they had a horse, and a couple of horses, actually, and that was my first introduction to uh, being with horses and being able to ride horses, and I really loved it. In fact, I used to occasionally ride horseback um, without, um, without any other of the fancy devices that they have today. It was a really fun time. And I think it's really a neat way to see places in the wilderness that you can't really see by yourself, at least not as easily. And did you know that you can go all around the state by horseback? There are a bunch of trails that are designated just for horseback riding. And there are a lot of places where you can go out with people who have the horses, who will show you how to horseback ride and all that. So we're going to find out all about that now by bringing in Amy Sherman. Amy is chair of uh, the Michigan Equine Trails Subcommittee to our Department of Natural Resources. And I think, Amy, you're on the the full trails uh, committee as well, right? Yes. Yes, I just got um, uh, appointed to MTAC also, well, Michigan Trails Advisory Council. Yeah, thanks for doing that. I mean, without that volunteerism, um, you know, we wouldn't be nowhere in this state. Uh, volunteers run this place. So thanks for Absolutely. all your help. So, um, especially trails. <laughs> it's true, especially with trails and, and all the way yeah. they're, they're maintained and managed and all that. Uh, DNR can only do so much. So you are um, you're on this committee uh, and these committees uh, partially because of your interest in horseback riding and such. Tell us about your background. How'd you get so involved? Um, let's see. Well, I started horseback riding when I was six. I got my first pony then, and I rode the roads around my house and farm fields that the farmers would let us ride in. And um, and then I had a friend that called me up, and she was like, you know, do you know that? Uh, volunteers are you know keeping these trails open and you know we need help um this was the pinkney trail riders association oh, yeah. so she asked if i would come on board there so that's how i got started into the volunteer oh neat um well you know i i don't do a lot of horseback riding but i always really enjoy it when i go out there um, does your group do anything to help people find places where they can go horseback riding in michigan yes we actually have um two uh, trail uh, organizations that run um, trail riding out out of uh, Pinkney Trails. And then um, on the Michigan Horse Trails Directory website, I do have listed all of the stables that people can um, go and rent horses at to get out there if you don't have a horse and um, experience the trails by horseback. Well, there aren't as many uh, areas that you can go to go horseback riding anymore. And I'm sure the cost of insurance and all these, you know, other challenges these days are making it even, you know, more difficult to find this. So I'm glad you put this directory together. So I do see this michiganhorsetrails.com. So is that the place where you can go and, and actually find out places where you can, you know, go out with groups? Yes. Yeah, so um, I have the trail groups listed. So if you have your own horse and you want to attend some of their events um, or, you know, even volunteer with them, you can find all the information on all the trail groups that, that help maintain and improve our horse trails in Michigan. Well, I've talked and to then, oh, Go, ahead, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, and then I have listed by region the trails and the riding stables um, that are out there. So, again, if you don't have your own horse, you can find the riding stable information on the region pages. Oh, nice. Makes it a lot easier to travel and to figure that out. Uh, you know, the, the folks up at Mackinac Island, certainly a horse 
friendly community with all the privately held horses and the stables, a couple of stables there, and um, you know all the, the carriage uh, horse teams that are there. Uh, a lot of those folks um, have told me in the past that they, they, they have had difficulty finding trails uh, in various parks along the state to do horseback riding on their own when they're so-called downstate on the mainland. Uh, do you find that's the case, or do you think that we're doing a better job to to open up more trails for horseback riding? Um, we haven't opened a ton recently, and actually we've lost some definitely over the years. Um, but there are definite areas of the state where, you know, we, we really could use some horse trails. Um, Central Michigan and then Southwest Michigan, especially South Central Michigan even, um, Southeast Michigan, we have quite a few trails to ride, and in northern and, and the UP, we do too. Not we, in northern and um, the UP, we don't have a ton of designated horse trails, but we are also allowed to ride on the ATV trails up there, and then some of the snowmobile trails if they're not on private land. Well, we have so, millions of acres of forested land, yeah. and we are the trails state after all, so I'm hoping that uh, people can find them. And I know our Department of Natural Resources is doing all they can to open up trails for a variety of users. Are, are there big issues with that kind of occasional, um, you know, connection on trails with horseback riders and maybe other user groups like bicyclists or hikers or uh, whatever there might be like ORV riders? Um, a lot of the horseback riders find it uh, more preferable to ride with ORVs because we can hear them coming up um, ah. where we can't hear the silent sports. Um, users like the bicyclists. Um, so, so yes, we we do not recommend um, sharing trails on single track trails with um, on mountain bikes. Um, if, but and then the ATV trails, if they're not highly used by ATV, then you know you'll find horses on them. If it's a busy time with ATVs, you're really not going to find horseback riders on those trails. Yeah, I know those. It's just not an enjoyable. You know, time. Right. I know those trails are, are well marked, so at least people know where they can go and where they should go. I've been noticing right. lately something that's relatively new in Michigan, and that is the ability to, uh, at least in some places, maybe only specific times, to bring your um, horses down to some of the lakefront uh, properties. In the Silver Lake area, I've seen some shoreline riding with some groups. Is that a growing thing in Michigan? Yeah, um, so so the Silver Lake um, shoreline riding season is something that uh, actually ETS has been, the Equine Trail Subcommittee has been pushing for for many years, and we're very excited that that finally happened. Jenny Cook worked very hard on that um, with the DNR to get that opened up. So, yes, we now have that from November 1st to 30th. Um, that whole month you can go and ride the shoreline at Silver Lake, and um, it, it was it was wonderful this year. We had um, 2,000 reservations wow. for people going there during that month. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and else. it's bringing in people from out of state. You know, the, the word is really getting out about that um, opportunity, and people are very excited about it. So people are actually yeah. trailing, trailering, I guess you could say, um, their uh, horses from far away to, to come to some of our places here in Michigan? Yep. Yep, absolutely. Wow. And we're, I'm seeing more out-of-state people join the Michigan Horse Trails Directory Facebook group, too. So, oh, neat. Uh, word is getting out about, about Michigan's trails. They really are wonderful, beautiful, not as muddy as a lot of other states because we have so much sand. Um, so it's, 
it's a great place to, to go. And then we're, we're putting out all this detailed information of where you can ride. So, you know, that also helps people come in. Well, when they come in from far away and they're trailering their horse, uh, do they generally stay at campgrounds? Uh, seems to make sense. And, and so are there like state campgrounds that allow you to have your horses there too? Yep, absolutely. State, um, Forest Service, National Forest Service, um, private and um, a few other like county ones too but yes absolutely there are and um that for that shoreline ride we put out information on where you can stay also so that you know you don't have to drive there and back during the day one day (laughs) i'm looking at your website and you provide a lot of other information so let's let's give that again michiganhorsetrails.com and and you also mentioned the facebook group so just look for michigan horse trails directory on facebook and you'll yep. find more there. And you just have a wealth of information here uh, that people can can go to to find out where they can go horseback riding or where they can go with their horses. I think it's a tremendous service you provided. So, again, let's do that website, michiganhorsetrails.com. And Amy Sharman, chair of the Equine Trails Subcommittee to the Department of Natural Resources, also on the Trails Committee, the Big Trails Committee for the entire state. Thanks for all you do, and thanks for all those volunteers who help as well. People would be surprised to know uh, between horseback riders and snowmobilers and ORVers, they do a lot to help keep those trails clean. So it's always a a really great service. We're going to head to Port Huron next here on Travel Michigan, where your trip begins at michigan.org. Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan. I can tell you that just recently I visited the uh, lovely town of Port Huron for some meetings. And I I tell you, I said it that way for a reason. It's a lovely place. It really is. Uh, I had not been to Port Huron for a while since before the pandemic, really. And I went there for some meetings and I was so impressed with my team. I said, let's go for a little tour. So we did. And there are so many cool things happening in Port Huron. If you haven't been there for a while, check it out. You're going to really be impressed. Downtown, on the waterfront, everything. And and one of the new things I recommend you consider is old, because we're going to talk about the museum next by uh, introducing you to Andrew Kircher. He's manager of community engagement with the Port Huron Museums. Andrew, you were kind enough to bring our group up into the Fort Gratiot Lighthouse which was outstanding. Thanks for doing that. Absolutely. It's honestly one of my favorite parts of my job is when I get to show off some of the real gems we have in Port Huron. I can see that, and and, uh, you do a great job uh, at what Uh you do. In fact, you came that day, um, if I remember right, you were dressed in like period uh, attire uh, for uh, back in the day, and it was really cool to hear you uh, talk about uh, Michigan's oldest operating lighthouse, uh, I think oldest on the Great Lakes, right? Very close. Uh, we always kind of have a little bit of a rivalry with Marblehead down in Ohio. Mm. It's just a tiny bit older, but the oldest on the upper Great Lakes, the oldest in Michigan, which I think is pretty cool. Michigan yeah. has you know, more lighthouses than any other state, and it all started at Fort Crashing. Uh, what year was that uh, light installed? 
So the very first light they put up in 1825, wow. and it actually collapsed in a storm after a couple of years. There was some shoddy workmanship mm. on the very first light. And in a way, it was a blessing in disguise because they moved the tower. Uh, if you're familiar with Port Huron, the original tower had been right underneath the Blue Water Bridge. Sailors said they couldn't see it, and that's never a good thing for a lighthouse. Mm. So when they reconstructed it, Congress appropriated even more money. They built it right the second time was the charm. And that's still the tower that you can see there today. Uh, it was built in 1829. 1829. It is a big, beautiful light uh, right there on the water, as you say. It's kind of right at the uh, the mouth of the river, right? Yeah, and that's the idea, is a lot of mariners were complaining. If you think about Congress had limited money when they were building lighthouses, so they had to prioritize, and they prioritized where it was needed the most, the most dangerous. It's beautiful right there at the mouth of the St. Clair River, the bottom of Lake Huron, but also can be very dangerous. It's one of the strongest currents on the Great Lakes, and you've got all that water draining into a really narrow river, so it was a really uh, appropriate place for a lighthouse. Yeah, I, su I suspect. And, and the land that the lighthouse is on, it's a pretty big space. You can see other buildings there. Is that because uh, back when this was built, there were people living on the property, the lighthouse keeper, the family, all that? Yeah, so one of the things that we are, we say in a lot of like our literature, we talk about the Fort Gratiot Lighthouse, but we usually say the Fort Gratiot Light Station uh, because it's so much more than just the tower. What everybody kind of thinks of is that, you know, lighthouse. There is, of course, a tower that's an important part, but yeah, there are homes there. There were uh, for a keeper, an assistant keeper, later a second assistant keeper uh, who were living right there at the light station. And a uh, fog signal building, that's one of those other things. You can have the brightest light in the world, but if you've ever seen fog out on the Great Lakes, it can pop up in a hurry. If you can't see the light, it doesn't do you a whole lot of good. So fog signal, and by that point, you've got so much kind of equipment and buildings that you do need a whole set of grounds there, which we're very lucky that when the federal government stopped uh, actively using the grounds, there is still a Coast Guard station that's right next door. The rest of it was turned over. Uh, to St. Clair County, and it's run as a county park. So we work with our partners, Port Huron Museums of 501c3. We work with our partners at the county of St. Clair uh, to keep the right lighthouse running and, and keep all those people getting to visit and restoring the grounds to their appearance as it would have been seen in the 1930s. Well, how do people uh, tour the lighthouse, and, and can they climb all the way up to that top of that, uh, what, 80-plus foot uh, light? 86 feet, yeah, 94 steps, and they can. It's one of the things that I think is the coolest about the Fort Gratiot, besides the fact that it is the oldest, is it's actually one of the few that you can climb the tower. You can go out outside onto that gallery uh, if you want. Not all people do, uh, but it is open seasonally. So typically, uh, just like historically, the lighthouse was closed in the middle of winter. There wasn't a lot of shipping traffic. We operate generally from April 1st until about the end of the year. So we take off kind of four months in the middle of winter where we're working on other projects. And that's going to be the opening day for 2023 is April 1st. It is called the Fort Gratiot Lighthouse, which makes me guess with all that property. That, was that actually uh, the place where a fort was? It probably would be a great place right there at the river. Yes, frequently you find military fortifications and lighthouses in very similar locations for a lot of the same reasons. So Fort Gratiot, 
which it's got that great French pronunciation. It's mm. you know the same Gratiot that goes all the way down Gratiot Road into Detroit. It's named for uh, a Frenchman who was the uh, engineer uh, designing the building. His family was from St. Louis, uh, but it was built in 1814. So the fort was actually there before the lighthouse, and uh, when they built the lighthouse, it was the soldiers at the fort who were operating it. Very few people living in the area at that time. And the name has kind of stuck with us. So there was a military installation there until basically in the 1870s. By that point, the United States was not really too concerned about Canada invading any more than we are today. So they decided, eh, we don't need this fort anymore. We'll consolidate the soldiers. A lot of them went down to Fort Wayne in Detroit. And the lighthouse name remains. Is there anything that remains of that old uh, fort? Yes. So there's only one piece actually left. It was you know, built for a, a number of different structures. One of the buildings that we have on the grounds at the light station is actually the Fort Gratiot Post Hospital. Uh, it's the only building that remains. It's actually the oldest wooden building, in basically the entire thumb. Uh, it also dates back uh, to the 1830s, uh, like 1829, uh, so about the same age as the tower. And the Fort Gratiot Post Hospital, we have been very lucky. Over the last year, we've been able to secure some grant funding, and the entire outside shell has been finished, uh, and the inside is being uh, renovated into a space that can include exhibits. It's nothing short of basically a miracle of historic preservation. The building was cut in half. It was used as private homes for decades. The museum was able to get half of it. And a couple decades later, got the other half. We were able to put it back together. Wow. It's moved more times than I have in my life. So, <laughs> well, well, there there are a bunch of um, I don't know if it's just buildings, assets, I guess I'll say that the county museum has. You guys have done such a great job. And one of the stories you tell is the Thomas Edison connection. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So he's the most famous resident of Port Huron. I'm a strong Edison apologist. I think in the last few years. Maybe he's been a little maligned in things like pop culture. You know, he, he didn't steal all his ideas or anything like that. But he grew up here in Port Huron. Uh, he was born in Ohio and moved here as a young child. And one of the coolest buildings we have in our museum system is the Thomas Edison Depot. Obviously, it wasn't called that when it was built. It was the Fort Gratiot Depot. And it's a train station from the 1850s. And I think just about any community would have been excited to have one of these original 150-year-old train stations. So not only do we have that, but the fact that it's a train station where Thomas Edison had his first job. Uh, rather famously, as a, a young boy, Thomas Edison worked as something called a news butcher. So he sold newspapers, candy, gum, cigars, anything he could make you know, a couple bucks at on the train that ran between Port Huron and Detroit because this train station was very close to his home. And so since the station survived, it's now dedicated as a museum to talking all about how Edison really got his start here in Port Huron. His whole family is buried here. His father, Sam Edison, is actually the man who built Menlo Park, like the physical building where they're doing all of these famed inventions that really made the 20th century. Wow. Of course, you can find Menlo Park now moved over to the Henry Ford in Dearborn. So right. pretty cool to have that that connection there as well. What else should people look for uh, from the museum when they come to Port Huron? Those are two of our sites. We also run the Huron Lightship, which is this other great kind of aid to navigation, light connection. It was a floating lighthouse that's now permanently dry docked. You can walk through it. It's a National Historic Landmark. And we have our 
main museum, which has, it's more, more traditional. It has rotating exhibits throughout the year. You never know exactly what you're going to find. A little bit about Blue Water, Port Huron area history. And that's our Carnegie Museum in actually one of Michigan's largest Carnegie libraries built back in 1904. So a gorgeous building. When the library moved out in the 60s, the museum moved in. Well, y'all do such a great job, uh, and everyone should check out the museum and all that you offer uh, of historical importance and value in Port Huron, including the lighthouse, including the, the train, uh, car, and, and all that. It's just really cool place. And when you do that, you know, stay there for a few days and check out downtown. You're going to love it. The website to learn more is Port Huron Museum. Dot org, And when you go there, look for Andrew Kircher. You're going to enjoy the conversation. Thank you, Andrew. Really appreciate being with you today. We're going to head to Flint next here on Travel Michigan, where your trip begins at Michigan.org. Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan. You might have heard about an organization called the Motor Cities National Heritage Area. I'm actually on that board, and in, in that organization is all about the heritage and future, by the way, of the automobile uh, industry. And primarily, that means in the southeast part of the state of Michigan. But frankly, you know, the auto industry is really also very active in places like Windsor and parts of Ohio. And, and then, of course, within Michigan, all the way out to Kalamazoo with the Gilmore Car Museum. Uh, and then north, you have to go from downtown Detroit all the way up to Flint because, man, there's a lot of auto culture there. And there's so much more. When's the last time you were in Flint in Genesee County? I'll have to tell you. It offers a great experience. You're going to really love it, and you need to check it out. And I know you're going to have a really great time, especially if you're an auto geek, a car geek. There are some great events and some really cool things to see. So there's so much more. Let's find out what there is by bringing in Amari Stewart. She is executive director of Explore Flint in Genesee. And Amari, you've, you took this position, oh, less than a year ago, right? Yes, I actually started uh, the top of the year with the accepting of the position for Explore Flint and Genesee as the executive director. Well, I'm really glad you did. You've been there for a while. You know the town, and I, I can't wait. You're going to do a great job, and um, I, I just can't wait to continue working with you in your, in your new role. Uh, and, and the cool thing is you've been there long enough that you really know Flint and Genesee County is a really friendly, cool place. What, what are some of your favorite places, top of the head, and I know that's a dangerous thing to ask about, but just top of your mind, what would what are some of the places that you think people need to check out when they come to Flint and Genesee County? Well, you know, um, it all depends on if you're looking for something walkable or if you're looking to do a little driving tour in the area. I would definitely recommend some of our uh, eateries. Um, we have the Fenton. Uh, they have unique boutiques for everyone's style, delicious restaurants and beautiful scenery. Um, if you're looking for something in the downtown Flint area, we have that city vibe and a hometown feel. Um, you can exper experience things like our comic bookstore and social hub or go shopping at some retail at our bow house um, or eat some of our um, 
fine cuisine, um, either at Spectacular Spuds or um, any of our restaurants that we have in the area. Totally agree. And, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Fenton right away because it's such a cool little little town uh, in Genesee County. And you have a, a bunch of these kind of like quaint, you know, walkable downtowns within the entire county in addition to Flint. Yeah, that's correct. Flushing has wonderful outdoor spaces, including access to the Flint River and their beautiful trails and uh, lots of spaces to play outdoors. We also have the largest county park system in the state of Michigan. Um, and that's one quick fun fact. We have over 11,000 acres of county parks, including Bluebell Beach and its paved pathways and that connect to the Flint River Trail. And um, we really focus on making sure we're engaging the entire family. So if there's um, any accessibility needs, um, we have a barrier-free splash pad there. And then Genesee County's first universal accessible playground is also housed in our county park system. Well, I, I have uh, visited uh, Fenton, for instance. I know there's uh, like a brewery there. The the um, there's some other really great restaurants uh, in Flushing. The Signature Chap House is that right? Yes, that's correct. They have a gorgeous patio for outdoor dining. Um, the Fenton Winery and Brewery. It's located in the south end of our county, and they have beautiful beer and wine, wine selection and a wine gar garden with outdoor games to experience with your family and your friends or when you're entertaining guests from out of town. Um, and then there's a, a new rooftop bar at the Hilton Garden Inn in our downtown area, uh, downtown Flint area. It's a great place to grab a drink and see the beautiful views of the city. It's a beautiful skyline view um, of the city right on that rooftop there. I've stayed at that Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Flint. It's amazing, and you're right. Uh, I've been at that uh, rooftop uh, situation at night, and it's a beautiful view. I'll tell you some things that I love about Flint. Um, I am an admirer of art, and the public art in Flint is amazing. The murals are everywhere. I have no idea how many you have, but it's many more than most people would ever expect. That's correct. We have just over 100 murals situated throughout um, the Flint and the greater area. And we also have a world-class cultural center campus, as you mentioned, with our arts and culture. Um, the Flint Institute of Arts is one of them with the second largest fine arts museum in the state. And they actually just reopened a new gallery that's dedicated to African-American artists and artists of the African diaspora. I was actually very pleased um, I was able to visit the most recent Paul R. Jones exhibit. Um, it's one of the largest and most comprehensive collections of the 20th century of African-American art. Um, and it was collected by Paul R. Jones, which is just a civic servant um, with a civic uh, person's um, income. But the, he collected this art over decades, hmm. showcasing artists' work in a variety of materials with styles that range from the 1930s to present day. And I was very pleased to see all the different artists that were featured um, and where they came from, the stories that were behind the collection of this art. So we do have a very robust arts and culture community here in our area. Yeah, that cultural center is amazing. I was actually at the um, the reopening of the Sloan Museum of Discovery. Seems like it was just last summer. You know, these days it could have been two years ago, but I think it was last summer. And it, it, it's a great museum that you're going to enjoy as well. It, that entire cultural center, I don't know of a place anywhere that has such a cluster of really interesting cultural facilities all within that that block so to speak that very big block 
It's a genius idea. Whoever came up with that, I wish it was me, but it wasn't. What's the name <laughs> of that? What's the name of that? Um, it's kind of like a, a a a house that you can go into right there near the, the Applewood Estate. That's it, and, and you yes. can tour that now, right? Absolutely, that will be open for tours. Absolutely, um, and you can tour the grounds. Uh, de- several different apple trees there. It does open in May for tours, and we welcome all visitors to come in and visit the grounds and just see how beautiful the uh, landscape is and um, learn a little bit about the history of our community as well. That's yeah, a, it's a cool thing. Now, downtown Flint, I don't want to forget that. Um, uh, I actually was in the, is it the Temple Theater downtown? The Capitol Theater. Capitol, yes. that's right. The Capitol Theater. Uh, they've just gone through a major remodel. And they kept the flair of how that beautiful theater was originally put together. It's an awesome place. Yes, it is. So they did keep the original upholstery in this um, in the space. Um, we welcome different acts and shows um, each time throughout the year, and we also open it up to the community for um, family-friendly events for them to watch movies, um, especially re- relative to what season. Um, and so we definitely like to embrace that being into in the center and the heart of our area for guests to be able to experience not only just the guests, but the community as well. Well, there's not going to be time to talk about uh, all the great events, but I will put a pitch in for the Back to the Bricks event uh, later on this summer, about the same time as the Woodward Dream Cruise. And it's an awesome event. Uh, you will really enjoy being back on the main street and that brick-covered street in Flint and seeing all those cars go by. One last thing, Amari. Uh, can you just give us like a half a minute on that fabulous farmer's market in Flint? Yes. Um, we The Flint farmer's market is still welcoming new vendors into the area, all kinds of cuisine. It's basically um, our flair on um, our culture here in, in the community. So you have anywhere from barbecue to um, makers um, items made in Michigan. Um, you have Mediterranean cuisine. You have our, our world famous Kogel's hot dog stand, which is my favorite place to visit. Um, I get the dirty south, so if you, <laughs> if you wanna uh, make a suggestion for that. But yes, the, the Flint Farmer's Market was ranked one of the top um, places to visit amongst the American Planet Association. So it will be remiss if you were in Flint and Genesee County and did not take time to go and visit. It really is. It's a great venue. You're going to want to visit that as you visit Flint in Genesee. The website is exploreflintingenesee.org. And our thanks to Amari Stewart for being with us today. And that's all the time we have for this week. We'll talk to you next week. On Travel Michigan, where your trip begins at michigan.org. Let's go traveling.